Hello and welcome to Beyond Boundaries. My name is Justin Douglas. So pumped to have you with me today for this episode of Beyond Boundaries. If you want to learn more about me or find the show notes for this episode, you can go to pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, questions, or you can reach out via Instagram. I'm at Pastor Justin Douglas. Also, please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing. It really does make a difference. If you want to go even further, there's a Patreon page to help support the overhead costs of this podcast. Anything helps in the show notes in the description. You'll be able to find a link for that. Today on the podcast, I have my friend Kurt Willems. Kurt is a pastor, church planner, and blogger, and now he's an author of a book. Yes, he wrote a book, and it is great. It comes out this week, March 16th. The title is Echoing Hope. We get into it on this episode, but let me just say this. Uh, I got an advanced copy of this book, and I highly encourage you grab this book. I even pre-ordered it on the audiobook. If you prefer the audio, that's how I read books. Um, Kurt even took the time to read it for you. Uh, I think you will find this book incredibly encouraging. All right, well, let's get into it. Here it is, my conversation with Kurt Willems. Kurt, how are you doing, my friend? <laughs> doing good. Good to be with you, bro. Yeah, this is exciting to have you on. Um, if those of you who don't know Kurt, Kurt is the founding pastor of Pangea Church and uh, a friend of mine. We've known each other for a while now, a few years, mm-hmm. and um, stay in contact. We're on some text threads together. And uh, I heard you were getting a book. You had actually let me and a few other pastors know when it kind of got greenlighted when you started the writing process. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's exciting to see it coming uh coming out here soon what march uh, 16th am i right on that date or march man uh... yeah yeah march 16th it's the day before my uh 14 year anniversary so really uh, wow yeah i kind of told lauren and we're kind of <laughs> we kind of get it covid <laughs> plus book release we're like we'll just wait for 15 years and do something special yeah. so you know yeah i'm pretty sure like it's gonna i, I want to say something like around march 14th was like the day that everything went locked down or something right around yeah. there, wasn't it? So it's yeah. like everything went locked down. We're going to celebrate the one year anniversary of that. You're going to release a book and then, you know, your anniversary, you Dude, know, the trifecta. It, bro, it is a trifecta. <laughs> my, you know, my, I, I don't know if it'll go anywhere. My publisher the other day was like, maybe you should write a one year later reflection post COVID in light of your book. Maybe use an ex, an excerpt or something. I don't know. Yeah. So we'll yeah, see. The book is about hope. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> Everyone wants to write a book in the middle of a pandemic about hope, you know. That's, oh, uh... <laughs> dude, dude, it's it's crazy. I mean, we could talk about that, but I mean, the first draft was done before COVID. Yeah, and then, but I, I mean, my revisions were thoroughly during COVID, so there's a lot of that that actually helped inform the final shape. But dude, yeah. it's it's crazy. Well, even as I was reading it, you referenced COVID, so I knew mm-hmm. you had to have gone back into it and either imported that and. You even referenced some of, um, you know, the uh, racial unrest over mm-hmm. the over the summer with uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Maud Arbery. Like the, yeah. you, you go into some of that. Like it's it's definitely a timely um, a timely book in the midst of a lot of hopelessness. I mean, just to to make sure people who don't know about you, you're a pastor, but you're also you were a writer and a blogger for a long time prior to even writing a book. Right, this is your mm-hmm. first book. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and a podcaster too, Paul cast, if, um, people remember that, if they, if they listened, I mean, you had, you even interviewed NT Wright on that, right? 
I believe. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've been, yeah. So it was the podcast for the first couple of years. It's now Theology Curator, but it yep. um, as it transitioned because I had that contact. You know, I've gotten to. I think I've done three interviews with them now. So it's been, you yeah. know, it's pretty fun. Yeah. yeah, little things like that have been uh, a cool, cool bonus part of the journey of just creating content. You know. Yeah, yeah. And you're in Seattle. Uh, how do you like Seattle? Love it. Hate it. All of it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, your wife's name's Lauren and you guys have two daughters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let me clarify. Love Seattle, but it's raining right now. So I don't love oh. rain. So we're in that season. Um, Hold yeah, on. You don't love rain and you live in Seattle? <laughs> it's a big problem I have. I mean, honestly, I, I'm a California guy. So I moved out here and I was like, I'm going to adopt the rain. It's going to be a part of my life. And it just never has. Uh, it's been seven and a half years. And I'm just like, this is awful. Yeah. I hate the rain. But whatever. You know, we get past the winter. Um, and yeah, no, I've got two wonderful kiddos and my wife, Lauren. And uh, yeah, we've been here quite a while just doing doing the church thing and the life thing. And my, you know, my, my wife's a teacher. So she's doing the special ed teaching thing. So mm. we're, we're thoroughly here for sure. Yeah. And you, uh, you planted Pangea. If I'm remembering correctly, what, how, how long ago was that? Was that seven years ago when you moved to Seattle? So kind of or shortly after, shortly after. Yeah. Shortly. After, like we had, we had like a year and a half of house church gatherings and sort of like figuring out what it was. Then we did a public launch. And now, I mean, post COVID, we may end up back in house church mode for a while. I honestly don't know. Like it's yeah. so everything's going to be different, you know? So yeah. 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 How are you guys all online right now? I would assume is that mm -hmm. kind of the situation. That's how we are too. Yeah. yeah. All online. Yeah. How, I mean, this is a non book related oh, yeah. question, but we're, we're going to go everywhere because we're friends and we're just going to talk about whatever we want to talk Love about it. and people can get a listen. Um, but how do you think the church might be transformed through this season of COVID and having to explore so many churches have had to explore their online presence in a new way, which I think has mm -hmm. been good for a lot of churches having to almost being forced to engage technologically, which so many churches, I think, didn't even have websites, let alone Facebook uh -huh. page, pages before this. Oh, um, dude. And so I, yeah. I think it puts the church out there a little more. Um, but how do you anticipate like coming back together is going to maybe be different? Because it's something me and our team have been talking about of like, there's just going to be this deep need for human connection. Not that there yeah. isn't always that need, but coming out of this kind of isolated season, extended isolated season. Um, I don't know that people want to come sit and listen to a 40 minute sermon and some songs played at them and then leave. Like the need for human connection is going to be more than the need for like a pastor to impart information. And I think it could be transformative for the church to grow communally in like the way they engage. So I'm curious to hear what you're thinking about that or seeing or considering yeah. as a pastor. Have you thought about that much? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think I agree with you that the human connection thing is going to be the biggest thing. So um, we so I, other places in the country are different. Uh, we have not met in person once since the first shutdown. So uh, March 1st, if I remember right, March 1st is our last gathering in person we had. So uh, we had the first case out here. So we were quick to say, let's pause, figure out what's happening with COVID and then, you know, and then the shutdown officially happened. That was national. And mm -hmm. we haven't had schools since a year ago. Like, it's crazy out here. Um, so as I think about the future, you know, one of the things 
that I am brought back to are those early days as a church planter where meals were central to what we did. And, and so I don't know what that will look like. It depends on the makeup of our particular community coming out of COVID. But I've, I've told our team, like, prepare for small, intimate gatherings, um, prepare for meals and time together, and, and really just take the, the approach that we're going to rediscover who we are as a church in a lot of ways, because this online thing, and we do Zoom, like we're once in a while do like a live teaching thing with some music or whatever, but like we've defaulted towards Zoom and it's been wonderful to be able to like connect and have conversation with people. But um, yeah, it'll be really fascinating to see if from Zoom, can we translate that back into, wow, we haven't missed a beat relationally with a lot of these people. Or is it going to be really weird to like be in front of other people, perhaps unmasked? I don't know if they'll let us do that right away. But, you know, I it, it feels kind of funny. It's like, um, you know, there was a couple of years where I didn't get to see my dad, just circumstances or whatever. We didn't you know, we're living, we live in different places. And so I didn't get to vacation and see him for like three or four years. I mean, it was a while. And I started wondering, like, is it going to be weird? Like, are we going to, you know, we talk on the phone, but what's it going to be like to be together again? Mm -hmm. And you know what? We didn't really skip a beat. You know, I might've had a few more gray hairs because that's happening more and more each year. But like <laughs> there, there was that sense of, no, there's a foundation. So we want to be together. So here we are and we're together. You know, I'm hoping that for a lot of local churches, the problem is that the church doesn't always do a great job of rooting its programming in relationship. And so, you know, I think a lot of churches are going to have to discern how do we step into new creative ways of fostering relationships. And yeah, man, I, I think people are I think pe some people are going to want church, church, you know, what we think of with church. Like, I do think that's going to be a desire, but by itself, especially the more video feeds we get and the higher quality video feeds we get, right? Like churches are going to go all in on investing on making amazing production value church experiences, kind of like podcasting made it harder to be a compelling preacher. Well, now video is going to make it harder to be a compelling show on Sunday morning. So we're going to have to figure out what really anchors us beyond the show. And I like the show. I'm a big show guy, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. But um, I think you're absolutely right. We've got to invite people to the foundational stuff, breaking bread and being together. And um, we'll see where it goes from there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the things I was uh, actually just talking to someone today and they just had said, like, whenever we go back, can we just have more time before and after? Hmm. And I'm just like, I keep getting that kind of like request. And I'm just like, what if like the before and after was the thing? Like, hmm. if that's what we need, like if that if we yeah. need the before and after, if we need that, that human connection. And so we're we're thinking of some creative ideas of like how we might go about that. But it's definitely something that right now I'm sensing people. Well, even before the pandemic, I just sensed we were in a friendship desert. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people just don't have friends mm -hmm. or they have mm -hmm. very few friends. And I think because we become so, so transient too, like people are moving here and there. And so like their friends, they leave their friends to move to a new mm -hmm. region or whatever. Like, like there's less and less people just staying in one place their whole life or even uh, their whole adult life. Right. So, um, you just have this like 
shuffling that's happening and making new friends is hard and um mm-hmm. and being connected in that meaningful way where you trust one another and you you know yeah have that type of meaningful relationship and so i think i think there was already that hole that existed and then this is like a new hole of just like we desire to be in community with one another that's like yeah that's rooted in our being and who we are like let us make them in our image in the sense uh-huh. of like, you know, God is a community of energy and we are as well, like needing to be in community. Right. And, um, the same way God is. And so, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, so let's shift to yeah. talk about your book because I do want to plug this book and man, you got some heavy hitters plugging this book, man. I'm seeing ah, some of the yeah. quotes on those first few pages, man. You, uh, hmm. you, you got connected up with some people. <laughs> it worked out. It worked out. Yeah. Who's the yeah. most surprising. Who's the most surprising to you? Not that you got to pick one, but the most surprising when you were like, Oh, that person's going to give a quote for my book. I would have never thought two years ago that person oh. was going to give me like a quote. Dude, is that putting the, you on the spot because you got to then like not pick one if I tell you to pick it, like you're uh, going to leave one out or something? No, I mean, there's like 20 of them. I, I got a lot. I know. Like, it's wild, I, man. I reached out to people and there were a few no's that were a bummer, but I was like, dude, so many people are saying yes. I, I thought the publisher was going to say we can't put them all in the book. I was worried, to be honest with you. I was like. You know, I hope I don't offend anyone if they don't make it in the book, you know, um, that was really cool. I mean, that was a huge honor. Yeah. Um, I would say, OK, pre-book deal, if you were going to tell me that Ben Higgins from The Bachelor would be a book endorsement, I would have told you BS, right? You watch The Bachelor? Yeah. So here's here's how this went down. I. I share this in a place or two. Um, oh, so basically, how this oh yeah, it's it's so funny. Um, you know, so in twenty, I think it was twenty sixteen. Lauren and I were watching the season that that was Ben's season, and um, Lauren's been watching it since the first season. So I got married into the Bachelor. I've always been like, this is dumb. I don't want to watch. This is stupid. But then your wife's watching it. It's like nine o'clock at night. You're in the living room. She has wine. You have wine. And you're like, well, maybe this isn't a bad idea. And, uh, you know, so so that was probably I, I said this before to Lauren. I was like, I think that's the first season I legit watched with you, like all the way through, kind of knew what was going on. And um, during that season. I, I picked up on some things he was saying. I was like, man, I think he's a Jesus person. And, you know, they don't always explicitly say the word Jesus, right? Like networks are kind of filtery. And, um, but I was like, I think this guy's into Jesus. And how in the heck is he following Jesus in this very interesting environment? That's got to be really, you know, on, on the one hand, maybe intentional. On the other hand, really challenging. And so I was just got curious. So I, I hopped on Twitter and I followed him. And I was like, and he had like a Bible verse or something in his, his handle, you know? And I was like, oh, okay. This guy's like, yeah, my, my, my sort of inclination was accurate. Well, he eventually, I don't remember how long it was, but he saw that I followed him and I like retweeted one thing he did and he followed me back. And I was like, dude, you're a celebrity. You're following me back. And and for context, I I know a lot of people in the world don't watch the bachelor. So it's a very niche kind of celebrity but for people who watch The Bachelor, he's like one of the favorites. And he actually, uh, you know, he has like 400 and something thousand followers on Twitter. But then you go to his Instagram and he's got 1.3 million, you know, and it's like, yeah. dude, 
So this guy is pretty well known. And, and so for, for several years, it was just like once in a while, I'd retweet something he saw uh, or he said, or he, he retweeted me a couple of times out of the blue. It was all, that's cool. And then I was in the middle of like the negotiation process with a publisher and we were multiple publishers at that point. And we were talking, I was talking to my agent and just processing. And it's like, Kurt, if you have just one connection to some marketing kind of, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. publishers need that one extra sort of awesome sometimes, right? To really say yes. Yeah. And I was like, well, here's a Hail Mary. I'll, I'll ask this Ben guy who I've been interacting with on Twitter a little bit. So I went, <laughs> I went to Twitter. I went to my direct message and I was like, this isn't going to work. And, and I wrote, Hey Ben, dude, it's been cool following each other all these years. Appreciate what you're up to. Any chance you'd want to endorse a book about Jesus, hope, and pain? And he wrote me back later that day. He's like, dude, I'm never in my direct messages. Happen to see this. Here's my cell number. Let's talk. I'm definitely willing to support you. And I was all, what? Like it blew my mind. And wow. from there, man, we developed a legit friendship and, uh, you know, we talk on the phone once in a while. We text all the time. And he came to Seattle the week before the shutdown for something called The Bachelor Live, which is like mm. the road show. And he was the host of that um, wow. co-host. And so we got to like behind the scenes it with him the whole night. So we got free seats really close to the front. We got to hang out like in his bus, which his his tour bus, he had to bummer had to log out john legend from netflix in his bus because john legend <laughs> apparently had been in there last right like isn't that crazy like, no i would i would just be like what is john legend watching we're boom. gonna watch that yeah, we're gonna yeah. rewatch all that you know that's right we're <laughs> just gonna be his, i what's am on john his watch legend. list yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so so you know it was just like surreal but the guy's just a normal dude who stumbled into this hollywood thing right and he, he does love Jesus and he's had to really figure out how to navigate this. Right. So, so we also had the connection. He just released a book onto our earlier point, back to our earlier point on like a friendship desert. His book is about that. Actually, it's called alone in plain sight oh, and wow. it's all about that. So, mm. um, long story short, we end up connecting over writing books at the same time. And, uh, you know, he just released, he, he's like a month and a half ahead of me. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So he by far uh, is the most big, surprising sort of endorser. And um, I would say he's my only non-Christian author. But as of a month and a half ago, he's actually also a Christian author. So he wow. uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of a crazy deal. But, <laughs> you know, some of the others, I I'm super pumped on everyone who wrote an endorsement. Many of them I knew because of podcasting that just kind of gave me an extra in or from other ministry yeah. things. But, um, I, yeah, what a, what a cool, cool, uh, group of people to help launch my first book. Yeah. What was the writing process like? I mean, I know it's, uh, you've done a lot of writing in the past. I down the road someday I may write a book. I, mm -hmm. I have book ideas in my head, but it's like the time and the discipline of writing oh. a book is, a whole different thing. It's one thing to be the, in the discipline of writing a blog post weekly or something like that, or even daily, but to write a book, it just requires so much from what I've heard and 
Um, Mm-hmm. Even reading books like The War of Art and some of these other books that like go through process of of creativity. And I'm a creative, so I love creating, but it's such a hard process, I think, of like writing something and then going back over it and then writing, going mm-hmm. back over and just like revisiting words that you've said so many times that it's almost like, I mean, I write music, so it's like listening to a song a hundred times and by the hundred time you're like, it's just all sounding the same now. This, uh-huh. who's, who even wants to listen to this song? I'm already yeah. done with it and it's oh. not even out yet. So how, mm-hmm. how, how was that process for you? Because this is your first book. And I think the process of even creativity is an interesting one. Oh, yeah. what was what was that like for you? Tell, speak a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the creative part is definitely something that. Um, well, let me let me say it this way. So I today, how funny I I was recording like little um, videos that I'm going to make available to anyone who buys the book. And I'm going to, I go through every single chapter and each video is just one chapter. Um, and I give the behind the scenes look at like, here's what it's like. Here's some creative things that were going on. Here's some personal things and here's some theological things. And I actually, on my computer while I'm making the video is I have the first draft of the book and the final version. And I'm comparing chapters side by side. So I'm kind of just playing around and being like, dude, this sucked. Here's why, you know, and (laughs) I think, I think what I I can tell you is that the, the Kurt who started my first draft is not the same person who finished my final draft, that there wasn't just a like, wow, I'm getting better every time I try this. Although that's probably true. I, I found a voice. You know, when you go from blog to book, everyone has said that's a big leap, and it is. But um, I had the blog to book challenge, but I also had the academic to layperson challenge, right? Mm, so yeah. I had these two forces. I've written a thesis, and you know, my thesis is like 80, 80 pages. So it's not like I haven't written something long, but it's always been dense and specific and uh, that kind of thing. And so my big challenges creatively were, okay, how do I really structure this in a way that I stick with the theme of pain? You know, Mm -hmm. there were times when I had ideas about Jesus that I was thrilled about, but then at the end of the chapter, when it was done, it's like, did I even mention the word pain here? I've got to make sure I'm, you know what I mean? And so, so a lot of that's just really getting, finding my voice and then finding the thread and, and really honoring the thread throughout the process. So that's part of it. Uh, creatively, I'd also say, dude, uh, I don't do this in a vacuum. And that's been a big blessing to me. I had a creative partner. His name's Paul Pastor, who's also, he happens to be an, a great author as well, but is an editor for um, uh, Waterbrook, which is where I got this thing published. And he, he helped me see things that I wouldn't see. He's like, dude, you've got to invite the reader here. You know, you've got to, you've got to give them handles, not just inspiration. So one of the big creative things I learned about myself is my tendency has been to leave people in preaching and in writing with like the big, whoa, isn't this big vision inspiring? Isn't this awesome? But no handles of like, what can you do with this? And so mm. this book represents being pushed creatively to always be able to bring even that abstract in inspiration stuff down to actually this applies to my real world experience right now. So, so for me creatively, that was a big stretch taking off the professor hat and just like 
like honoring it, but like really honing in the pastoral slash um, guide, maybe spiritual director hat. Mm -hmm. That was a challenge. There's a few chapters that were very academic that I got a lot of pushback on, not because the content was bad, but because it just wasn't helping the reader. And so Mm -hmm. it was a it was a painstaking process, I would say, if that's the right word. At times, yeah. uh, it was frustrating, but let me tell you the truth. I am so grateful that I had not just Paul, but beta readers and um, copy editors and I had all these people around me so that now when I start book number two, I already know my author voice. I already know the kinds of things I need to help people like in the creative process, right? Not necessarily concepts, but like I know what it means to give handles in a book, I think. Hopefully I did that. And, um, you know, I can make cool ideas or I can make compelling ideas that make a difference in someone's life. And that's that's been the big growth for me. When you say book number two, do you already have a plan for book number two? Or is that just more like theoretically, like I, I, I definitely know I want to write another book, but I don't know what it is yet? Yeah, so I started two or three different concepts and I've not going to follow through on them. I'm pretty sure. So, (laughs) um, I was feeling the pressure like, man, this book's done. Now it's promo time. I should just get my book number two ready. Um, my publisher will be grateful to see it whenever that time comes. Uh, cause they get like first, you know, they get the first look It's part of the contract and it's, it's a good deal cause I love my publisher. Um, and yeah, man, I, Sometimes you, how do I put it? I have to sit with something a long time and it has to mess me up and I have to have some epiphanies. A lot of those happen in the shower for me or when I'm driving, you know, and I have to have my voice notes ready and I have to really let something ruminate for a long time before I finally get to the point of, oh, this is actually the stuff, you know? Um, and so I'm, I'm still wrestling with that, but yeah, it's always on my mind in a good way. Like I'm always like, Oh, what if, and I'll just give myself a little voice note, come back to that later, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, I, going back to your original question really quick, something I didn't mention is I, the book I, I, I ended up with, it's fascinating. There's chapters that have been merged into one chapter. There's um, a chapter or two that I didn't see coming. And then honestly, there's quite a few stories in there I didn't plan on telling that I end up telling. Um, Some of the childhood ones and some adult ones that I, um, as I wrote the first draft, just didn't, they weren't on my radar. And then I came back to it after getting that first bit of feedback. Mm. And I was like, oh, Oh, remember that one time, you know? And so some of those stories come into play and dude. So like the, the, the deeply personal story where you're a child in your room, in your bed and, um, you're Mm -hmm. experiencing like this, this traumatic event where, uh, you're, if I'm remembering correctly, your mother's boyfriend, correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, uh, is like, there's a, drunk abuse is what, mm-hmm, you know, like, like, mm-hmm. and, and there's violence you're experiencing in that moment. Yeah, man, that was incredibly vulnerable. Like that yeah. story. I would, I would, I mean, and I know you, I mean, I'm friends with you. And like, I was like, Oh, I didn't know this about Kurt and I didn't know 
Um, and like, there's a lot of courage to kind of open yourself up right in that opening chapter of a book with, with a story like that. What, what was the process of deciding to like include some of these more vulnerable stories and, um, and these, these things. Cause I know that that can be hard because there's other people involved in those stories too. You know what I mean? So Uh now it's like, I'm going public with some things that are going to help other people because they're going to feel like they're not alone and they're going to feel like. They're going to feel like I'm not just someone out here peddling hope who hasn't had despair, which I sometimes feel like, you know, I sometimes feel like people are all about talking about hope. And then you look at their life and you're like, you really haven't gone through anything. So, of course, you Mm -hmm. got hope. Like, but Mm -hmm. but like you get to share, you get to share and, and, and create a relationship with the reader that shows like. I have every reason to be hopeless too. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, yeah. like, so yeah. share about why it was important to share those stories, how that process went mm. of, you know, opening yourself up to be vulnerable and have the courage to do that. Yeah, dude. So, uh, so that story ended up in the book proposal. So that chapter, I mean, a lot of things get shifted around, but the, the essence of that first chapter was in my book proposal. Um, But there's other childhood stories that I just didn't remember that get inserted later. That's kind of what I was alluding Mm -hmm. to a second ago. But but let me me break this down a little bit because, yeah, it it wasn't easy. So I've shared vulnerably in church settings a couple of times in my life about my childhood. So it wasn't like I've never shared this with a group of people publicly. I've never – uh, by far never shared it in a medium that is as permanent and as visible as a book like this with a, you know, a, a major publisher. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was scary, dude. I, I, I felt the leading of the Lord. I, I mean, I really believe that to actually go there. Uh, and, and it did start this way. So there's two versions of this book. Version number one, both were, uh, good, but, Version two is much better, in my opinion. Version one, we went to several publishers with a book that was tentatively titled Human Like Jesus. And it wasn't about pain. It was about what chapter three in my book is about now, Human Like Jesus, question mark. Mm -hmm. Uh, How does Jesus show us how to live? How does he show us how to be human? And that's very inspiring to me. That Just that alone, without the pain piece. Super inspiring. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had some great meetings with some publishers and the feedback we got was we like Kurt, which I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's always nice to be liked, I guess. Um, but give me a contract, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, so, so we like Kurt, which, okay, maybe, maybe someday I'll get a book deal. Cause this keeps dragging out. Um, and then they're like, we even like what he says in the proposal, but there's no hook. There's no draw. And so I, I was like, what does that even mean? You know, create, talking about creativity. And I talk with I talk with Rochelle, my agent, and she was like, well, maybe think of it this way. What they're saying is, you know, like when you're preaching at church, you already have a cap, you have a captive audience. Like they've already chosen to be at your church. They um, they can leave if they want, but ultimately they're in the room because Something about the church has drawn them in or whatever. They're there. So anything you say that's interesting, they have to hear if they're there on a Sunday morning. Whereas with a book, you like you don't have a captive audience. You have to capture an audience, get them into the pages of the book, and then hopefully they they resonate with something that you've written down. And so 
that framework, you know, it wasn't just about, oh, you got to, you know, I got to fluff up this book so that people like it. It was, I've got to figure out what's the connection point between the humanity of Jesus and real people in real situations. And it took me a, a few weeks, but I, I was sitting with it and I was like, you know what? It's suffering. It's, it's pain. Like, like if you want to be human like Jesus, the reason Jesus can say that Jesus was human like us is because Jesus suffered, right? So, so dang. Oh, yeah. My story. Oh, I kind of said it this way in a sermon one time. Oh, let's play with that a little bit, you know, and then the creativity. And then I actually go to write down that story. And I, uh, for people who haven't read the book yet, you know, I, I go through five senses, right? I, that framework came. It's kind of yeah. like the Ignatian formula. It just accidentally worked. And um, I write it down and I, I come up with this new vision of the book that it's about pain and hope and the tension and following Jesus in the midst of it. And it was like emotional to write that. I mean, that wasn't easy to put because I knew what I'm doing is I'm opening myself up first. My agent is going to read this, which I trust her, but it's another human being. And she could say, oh, thanks for sharing your story, but it doesn't work, you know? And I've just been vulnerable and it doesn't work creatively. Yeah. Uh, it didn't happen that way, obviously. Um, I'm going to give it to random people in the publishing world. I, you know, it, it's just going to be this thing. And um, eventually it became clear that that is what Jesus was inviting me to be a part of, opening myself up, but doing so with discretion. You're right. I bring It involves other people. So um, you may remember footnotes where I'm like, hey, I have permission for my mom to share this. You need to know that I love, you know, and I really try and just say, um, real true and beautiful things about my mom in the book over, uh, you know, a couple of times. I never mentioned my siblings by name, not once because they have their own stories to tell. It's not my story to tell. And, yeah. um, not even in the acknowledgements, which I kind of feel bad about cause they're going to read it. And I'm like, so-and-so by name. So, you know, and then it's like, oh, and my siblings, <laughs> but it, it's very intentional because my story is my story. And yeah. My mom happens to be a major player in part of my story, the pain, part of my painful memories. Um, so she's there, but I'm not going to like shame her for being there. She just yeah. happens to be there. You know, um, I didn't write down the address of the abuser or something. <laughs> like, I could have like, been horrible to him. And yeah. I, I call it out. I call him out as bad. Right. But again, so there's that. Let me add this one thing. Um, I mentioned Ben Higgins earlier and, uh, in the book, I share this story. I was like, when we first had our big conversation, I was like, you're, you're vulnerable all the time in front of people, like in a mass audience. I've never had to do that. Mm -hmm. Is it, is this like, tell me how you do it. And I'm sensing God wants me to, but dude, I'm, I'm nervous. And he, he straight up just talked about how he used to really like get bothered by, uh, media would criticize every little thing, you know, and he'd get in, mm -hmm. he'd see an article criticizing himself and just like, he would take it so personally. And he had this moment with God where it was like, no, no, your platform isn't about you. It's about how you can, um, be a force of good in the world. And, mm -hmm. and I, you know, and, and he realized in that moment that his vulnerability was actually the platform for his strength. And, he shared that story with me and it was just like, oh, 
okay, I, I think I've been hearing from God correctly. And thank mm. you, bro, for just sharing that insight, being a Hollywood guy, like, wow, you know? And, and so mm. I, I think that was just real permission giving in a different way. Um, you know, he, he didn't have to share that story and I probably would have gone forward with what I did, but that was just really another moment where there's just added grace that, Hey, being vulnerable, it's okay. Um, and so as I was vulnerable, I tried to make sure the stories weren't about look at how great Kurt is. Cause I, I really, that's just a bunch of crap. Like I, I don't want to do that. The medium of writing a book already says that, unfortunately. So, so I didn't want to overdo that, right? Uh, look at me, yeah. the survivor. Um, and make sure I honor people that are connected to the story. I think that actually worked out and I'm grateful that it did. But dude, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, yeah, my, my business is going to be all over the place in about three <laughs> weeks. So I'm kind of... Kind of interesting to see, especially people who don't like maybe my maybe something I said theologically. I, I, I'm anticipating things like, "Wow, he, wow, what a what a powerful story!" But man, his theology is all jacked up. Or you know, I'm, I'm anticipating <laughs> all these like different kinds of people. And I also just got to be rest in the fact that everything is fine, and this is this is a gift to be able to be able to. Anybody to, doing anything worthwhile is going to yeah, be criticized. Dude. That's right. And, and that's what that's I've learned it. in life. I've learned in life. If you're going to do anything with any amount of conviction, mm-hmm. you're going to be criticized. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, that's someone's right. going to find yeah. a reason to put you down for it. So don't, don't pay any mind to that. So echoing yeah. hope, how the humanity of Jesus redeems our pain. You still were able to get the humanity of Jesus in that subtitle. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you come across the, the, um, the uh, the title echoing hope. I mean, you kind of reference the grave and yeah. how Jesus has conquered death with that echoing, um, you know, from the grave, like in the in, mm-hmm. in the book. But tell tell pe- people a little bit about how you ended up on that title. I'll say it one more time: echoing hope, how the humanity of Jesus redeems our pain. And just a little plug: you can pre-order it now. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? <laughs> yeah, you can. Audio book. <laughs> Dude, Kindle, I'm gonna listen to the audiobook. Apple. You you read it, right? You read. I read no? it. I mean, read it, yeah. I'm all in on it too. That Dude. the the producer from uh, Random House was just like, I love your style. Like, keep the energy. You know, so I, it's high energy. Nice. Um, I cry I'm a couple it. times. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna listen to it that way. I mean, yeah. I'm, I've 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 read a good portion of it just from what you gave me, but at the same time, like, I I I'm an auditory learner, so when I, I listen too. to it, mm-hmm. it'll be a lot. It'll be a lot more, um, it just, in the way I learn, it'll, it'll stick a lot more. So oh, yeah. I use one of those audible credits, man, it's coming when it comes out. So but yeah, tell us yeah. a little bit about the title. How did you land on that title? So, so the placeholder title, when we shipped it out to publishers, um, was he is not here. And that comes straight out of the gospel story, right? The angel says that to the women at the tomb. He is not here. He is risen. Um, and there was something about the tension in that phrase that fascinated me, right? Like this idea that the, the first bit of news is the grave is empty. That, that's not positive. You know, you, you yeah. can correlate that story in Matthew with Mary Magdalene's experience of it. Like she is not happy that Jesus's body is missing. So, so however we think of those stories, um, there, there's something negative about he's not here. 
And yet it's actually the best news in the world. He is risen. So, so that was sort of a foundational place, like that anchored the theology of the book and the, the metaphor of the book. And then as we got into writing the first draft, I, I, I started noticing like, yeah, this is a book about pain and hope. And in, <laughs> in conversation with someone, I, I, the phrase just came out of my, my mouth, like echoes of hope, like talking about my book. And I was like, I got to write that down. So I just wrote that down and I brought that back to my editor and he's like, dude, that, that has some mileage on it. Let's process ways we can say that we eventually landed on echoing hope. And because like, on the one hand, there is this echoing hope from 2000 years ago that the grave is empty. You go in there, it's hollow. Jesus's body isn't in there. So there's this like metaphorical echo that reaches into our lives here now. But then there's this other sense that it works. Echoing hope is like our, our posture towards the world, right? Like if we are hope-filled people, we can echo hope to, the live, uh, to, to our world, to the lives of people who are hurting and suffering and all of that. So, so it's both our vocation and the source of our actual identity as Jesus people as we believe that the tomb is empty. So that's mm. where that eventually came from. And I just had to make sure that this was a book about the humanity of Jesus. And so subtitle finally worked and yeah, it kind of came together like that. No, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you write a book about hope in the midst of a global pandemic. Well, not necessarily you're editing it in the midst of a global pandemic, sure. which mm -hmm. at this point now, by the time you release it, we've already passed 500,000 lives that have oh been lost gosh. to COVID mm -hmm. yep. and the effects on the economy, business, jobs, mental health, and more are impossible to calculate. Like it's just impossible yeah. to calculate. And yeah. at the same time, we already referenced this, the, the murders of people of color yep. and so much pain. Um, and again, I know you mentioned these in the book, but I guess my question is, um, how does this book help someone who's grieving and healing from the pain of the last 12 months, whatever pain Ooh. has looked like for them in the last 12 months, because there's just so many different places and spaces that people have mm -hmm. felt pain in. And some of that overlaps. Um, obviously yeah. we've all felt the, the, the effects of the pandemic in some way, shape or form, but yeah, mm. it, it's just, it's interesting to consider like how this might provide some healing or just some permission to grieve and, and also permission to hope in the midst of the hopelessness. So speak yeah. to that a little bit about how this book could be helpful for those people who have really been hit hard the last 12 months. Oh man. Yeah. I hope it is. Uh, you know, a couple of things come to mind. Number one, like this book is for anyone who has experienced any kind of like pain in their lives. So that's everybody, right? Yeah. So on the one hand, what I'm trying to do in this book is I'm trying to help people step into the world that is broken and full of pain differently by catching a compelling vision of Jesus. And so, so part of this is, you know, this isn't your average, like, um, you know, my husband just died of cancer. Here's the book to read, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that, although I I'm, I'm happy for anyone in that situation to read. I think, um, really this is about how can we step into suffering differently? How can we step into hard things differently? 
And mm-hmm. what if Jesus is our guide, model, and the one who empowers us to actually do that transformative work so that the way we deal with pain today isn't the way we'll deal with it tomorrow. And that for me is ultimately like a big part of this, right? Like, can we actually be um, people who are different? Um, so the last 12 months have been hard in various ways, different hardness for me versus someone else, right? And my hope is that this will just reawaken the fact that we needed someone to show us how to be human so desperately that God decided to be that example. So mm. that's crazy, right? Like we needed mm. a, a good, beautiful example of someone who could walk in a pain-filled world well, so badly, that only God could really show us by becoming fully human. And so we have Jesus as that model. And I think reacquainting ourselves with the radically beautiful humanity of Jesus, the Jesus who empathizes with our situation, the Jesus who would never seek to cause harm, but can take harm and manipulate whatever's possible there and salvage it mm. for good. Um, mm. People who can find that Jesus Look, it's not going to make all your problems go away, but it's actually going to reframe the way you step into those problems. And and I think that's going to be really important in a kind of tail end of COVID, post-COVID world, because all, look, besides death and disease, which is the big deal right now, all of us are probably noticing the small little things in our lives that are unhealthy, where we struggle and they're getting sort of amplified. You know, the isolation is amplifying things for us, mental health, you know, whatever it might be. And so the other thing I hope this book does besides cast that big loving picture of Jesus for folks Mm -hmm. is uh, there's exercises after every chapter, right? There's actually formation. There's something you can do to try and engage this good and lovely, awesome Jesus. And so that's, that's a big part of it too. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll stop there for now, but Good, my hope yeah, is yeah. that people can step in differently. So, so let's say I'm somebody who labels myself a realist, right? And it's like, there's, I'm looking at systemic injustice. I'm looking at things and I'm just seeing yeah. very little reason to be hopeful. Um, and instead of asking you to kind of tell that person something, I just want to ask an honest question. Was there anything Jesus was hopeless about? Hmm. Like I, I, I and even as a pastor, I think that I, I asked that question. I've, I've been pondering on it a little bit today and I'm like, well, he goes off on the seven woes against the Pharisees, but he wasn't hopeless about Pharisees. Like he invited Pharisees to join him. Like, you know, Nicodemus yeah. was yeah. a Pharisee. Like he does kind of um, talk about, the people at one point he he says, um, how I've longed to gather them like, you know, uh, like a chick or or like a hen gathers her chicks. Right. Mm -hmm, And he kind of mm -hmm. like, that seems like at times a little bit of a hopeless, you know, like feeling at that point of like feeling like people just aren't catching the vision for the Mm -hmm, kingdom. mm -hmm. I'm curious to just know if you feel like there's any, if there's ever, is it ever okay to be hopeless? Is it ever okay yeah. to look at things and say, wow, there's just no hope here to, to acknowledge the death of sorts. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. uh, to acknowledge the empty grave without the risen savior. Right. I, I guess would be maybe a way of thinking of it. Um, just more to say like, 
we all probably have found ourselves there and it actually might be incredibly Christ-like in, in certain ways to be that way at times. I don't know that that's a place I would want to land or be at forever, but it's a yeah. process by which we become hopeful, right? I, I'm just yeah. curious a little bit of that tension because mm-hmm. I, I think writing a book about hope, the, the, the potential problem, right, is, is that you're just going to be labeled the optimist, right? Oh, you're uh-huh. just optimistic. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. just trying to paint, you know, this happy picture on really terrible situations or, or and I know that's not you because you and I have had a lot of conversations about systemic injustice and things. So yeah. I know you have a heart for that. Yeah. So I know you're not I know you're not in any way telling people to look the other way on these right. things to just right. look and just be hopeful. Um, so tell me a little bit about that tension of of uh, hopelessness and justice and realism in yeah. our circumstance. Oh, dude, that's so good. That's so good. And and your other point about Jesus. I mean, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think Jesus definitely experienced hopelessness. I I want to just be blunt and say hopelessness is not a sin. Um, like hopelessness is part of the experience human beings have in a world that's gone to crap. Like that's just real. You know, I've been hopeless about a lot of things. I think so. Chapter 13 in my book, uh, Jesus stares over Jerusalem and he weeps and he's basically like, dude, this thing's going to get torn down by the Romans and, (laughs) you know, and not so long. And I don't think he had any hope that Jerusalem was going to actually turn all the way away from its zealotry. You know, zealot being someone who is nationalistic and militaristic and wants to take back their rights by force. Of course, we've seen miniature models of this, unfortunately, recently, right? In in yeah. American culture. And uh, but but you know, this is the, the Jewish wars of 66 to 70 CE or AD. And um, these, it's a big historical event. Jesus predicts it in Mark 13, weeps over it in Luke. I think it's a Luke 11. I might be wrong yeah. about that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, but, and if you hear my kid in the background, you that's know, fine. that's fine, right? No um, worries, man. <laughs> she's hopeless right now because it's bedtime. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, so like, like, I don't, th- I think Jesus was hopeless in that particular scenario, not hopeless that no one would catch his vision for, instead of being a zealot, be a peacemaker, right? That was a lot of his preaching was follow my way. Cause the zealot way is going to get you all beat up and dead. Um, but I think he was hopeless in the sense that this isn't going to go the way I want it to. And, you know, I think that's why biblical lament is real. You, you can lament if something isn't better, if it doesn't seem like it's going to get better. You know, you can lament something. Now, should we have hope like in the sense of um, as Christians, like ultimate hope? I think, yeah, like there's, there, there's always something to put our hope in. That doesn't mean every part of our life is hope filled. And I don't think it ever will be. That's so, a real good delineation. There. Oh, like a, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... Uh, you you speak of racial injustice and here I am a white dude and I don't, uh, you know, like I'm learning by listening um, and relationships, but like, um, you know, when I think about racial injustice, um, I would never say, Hey, be hopeful. Eventually everyone's going to, you know, kumbaya dance and there's going to be reparations or whatever, you know, like, like, like you can't do that. That's not real. Rather, hope isn't even about that. I think we get a distorted picture of hope when we try and do that. Hope is about being able to look at what is absolutely real. So I'm I'm pro-realism 
through the grid of the Jesus who says, even when the real kills you, you can still be an image bearer. Even when the real causes you pain, you can still reflect the beauty and radiance you were designed for. And, mm. and to me, that marginalized Jewish man called Jesus who dies for enemies and is raised, uh, you know, gloriously, um, that to me is hope is about acknowledging what is painful and crappy now. Otherwise, hope isn't a thing. Hope, yeah. hope is only for now. When, when you know, as Christians, we believe that eventually Jesus is going to reclaim the planet and it's going to be new heavens, new earth, as the Bible talks about, and heaven will be here. Uh, hope doesn't exist in that world. Hope doesn't exist in the new creation because hope has been actualized. Right now, that's not true. So hope is the means through which we set our eyes on things getting better. And a lot of the things that we want better will honestly take an act of God's grace and um, intervention uh, at the yeah. last day, you know? So so there's some tension, but... Dude, yeah. you answered that so good because I do think... I think Christ models hopelessness and hopefulness. Like, he models mm -hmm. both. And I look at even, like, leaders like MLK who dealt with some of the most challenging circumstances where given over and over again reasons to be hopeless. Yeah. MLK continually comes out and preaches hope. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And yep. and not that he preaches hope in the absence by like ignoring what's real. Like he, mm -hmm. he, he acknowledges the broken systems, but, um, and acknowledges the fact that like speaks boldly to them that they need to be fixed and advocates for the fixing of these, but yeah. he's also yeah. preaching to a higher hope at the same time. So I like how you said that, that even in our hopelessness in certain things, we ha we can hold to a higher hope. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Um, any final thoughts on why people should read the book? Any, any final, um, words for, for, uh, for, for those who are maybe on the fence about getting the book before you go tuck your kids in. <laughs> oh dude. Yeah. And I'm not rushing out of here. Uh, no, it's good. You know, I, I think like what I tried to do in the book was really a few things. I try to um, look at Jesus as the model of what it looks like for us to become more and more human. And, uh, you know, be, being human is good. And so um, I want people who have wrestled with their own identity to be able to say, hey, my humanity is good. And hopefully this book helps build that bridge experientially um, you know, I also think, you know, the person who says, you know, I haven't had any major deals. Like I haven't had any suffering lately. Um, COVID is a bummer, but I, you know, I work a tech job. I'm making all the money still. I'm fine. Um, the truth is isolation alone is enough to call out suffering as real. Um, and so I think for that person, maybe you're not dealing with the specific trauma right now, but you, uh, I think Jesus invites you into, a greater awareness of how he can form you. And so I hope that this book does that for people. So, so yeah, also I think, an awareness yeah. of other people's pain, right? Like an, awa an awareness of, of other people. Like I did like at, at one point in the book, you, you did talk about not, not comparing pains. Yeah. Like there's no value here. And like my yeah. pain's higher than your pain. And like, yeah. I have it worse I, you have it worse than me, so I'm not allowed to feel the trauma mm -hmm. from my experience or I've had it worse than you. So you're not allowed to feel the trauma. Yeah. Like, like we all have different, like if we want to go on the pain comparison train, there's always going to be someone who trumps my pain, but mm -hmm. my pain is still very real to me yeah. and still carries the wounds for me. And so 
Um, I love that you did that in this book because I do think we've all been, we, we were all raised like when, like <laughs> at the dinner table, there's kids in Africa who don't have food. Like there's uh-huh. always someone who has it way worse than you. So you yeah. better do that, the, you know, and, and, and almost like it invalidates our experience. And I think you do a lot of work to make sure to validate the reader's experience. And you just brought that back in my mind when you said oh, that, because I dude. think that's, that's so yeah. important that, that people feel the sense that like, I feel blessed because I still have a job. I still have relationships. Mm-hmm. I still have friendships. I, I'm, I'm secure in this. I'm secure in this. But this loneliness in the middle of this pandemic, it's sucking the life out of me. Yeah. I feel so much pain. Yeah. And some people don't feel permission to like investigate that and acknowledge that Mm -hmm. because they see other people who are losing their houses or losing their jobs or losing their businesses or, or family members that are other people who have family members who are dying and like comparing yourself to them. Yeah. It's, it's good to acknowledge pain that other people are going through, but that doesn't have to, you know, you should still be working through the pain you're experiencing and acknowledging it. And I think, I think that's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that it's, it's funny you bring to mind. The reality is like, maybe I'm not dealing with someone who's dying. Like my, my spouse isn't dying. My spouse might die someday, you know, like, like, why are we, why are we playing these games where if my, if, if what I'm walking through isn't that bad by some other standard or some other measuring rod, then I don't have to deal with it. It's actually an out for not dealing with what's really true in your life, you know? And, um, and when that happens, when we don't really acknowledge those areas of pain in our lives, be they big or small, here's what happens. You you become the kind of person who is less equipped to step into painful situations with others. And and so mm. it's that others bit that is affected. So if you if you're a person who naturally feels empathy, but had haven't had that same sort of empathy for yourself. How are you going to really step into those situations where you could really be a, a presence, a, a representative presence of Jesus to someone, you know? And uh, that's not to play like, okay, so now I feel guilty because I'm not dealing with my own pain. Like there's not, you know, the whole, <laughs> the whole premise of this book, there's a lot of them. But one of the big premises is that Jesus comes to liberate people from shame. So, so this isn't about adding some new shame. It's just simply saying, deal with your stuff. You're going to be better for it. And so will the world. And so yeah. that's, that's mm. big, man. I, I just hope, uh, hope more and more people, including myself can catch that vision. Cause I still have work to do. Uh, we all have work to do. And yet there's a gracious God who says, you can do it. Let me show you how walk with me. Yeah. I think that's pretty amazing. Well, Dude, I'm proud of you for writing a book about the humanity of Jesus. So often we want to really focus on the divinity of Jesus, which mm. is important. But I think yeah. the, the humanness of Jesus is what I think is so radical about the story, right? Yeah, I mean, when totally. we really think about the story of God becoming human like that, mm-hmm. that is a radical plot twist to the story uh-huh. up to that point, right? Like that is yeah. God is so distant and far away including living in a temple in the sense of like, like, like just everything is so ritualized in that way. And then you, then, then God comes in, in human form. And it's like, Mm -hmm. there's a reason this happened. Yeah. And the reason it happened is because we needed a guide for how to be human. And so I I think, I think, uh, 
you know, much of what you say in this book, I think is really going to be helpful for a lot of people to say, I, 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 I'm permitted to follow Jesus and be a human being like mm-hmm. yep. anyone yeah. who ever told me, anyone who ever told me anything different than that, um, you know, was wrong. Like I, I yeah. I'm a human, that's who I am. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah. and I, I need permission to, to be that. And, um, and from that place, uh, of recognizing the humanity of Jesus and, and seeing that as a model, I, I'm, I'm going to be a better follower of Jesus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I can catch that vision and, and then hopefully import my pain into this, you know, reality. And it's interesting because we even see Paul talk about pain and James talk about pain and this idea of like, of pain almost for them became this like, joy in the sense of like, uh, you know, James saying like, consider it pure joy when you face trials because they had yeah. a higher hope to hold on to. Like they were able to, to redirect that pretty quickly. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That, that, mm-hmm. that struggle. So I, I think a lot of people who have gone through pain, this is a great opportunity to kind of pick this book up, check it out. If you got that audible credit sitting around, mm. go, go click purchase. Uh, People can pre-order the book. Is there any place they should do it that you recommend or is it just wherever they buy books? Wherever you buy books is fine. Um, You can go to echoinghope.com and there's a bunch of different links to different stores. Um, Of course, Audible is another option. If you're weird like me and now look at me trying to sell books, right? This is going to sound so self-serving. But this is what I honestly what I do with books that I want to really focus on. I get the Audible, but I also have the hard copy in front of me and I let the Audible tell me how fast I should be reading. So I'd set audible at like three, like three X or something. And it keeps my eyes moving fast, but then I can pause it and I can highlight, you know, so everyone has the same thing. Do you do that? I do the same thing. man. I have, I have books. I have books that I've never actually read in the sense of like read them, but I've just skimmed while I'm listening to the audiobook, or I'll listen to the audiobook while I'm driving and I'll be like, I'll ping a certain chapter uh-huh. and it, like I'll, I'll save a quote or whatever, an audio quote. And then I'll go back and find it in the book and highlight it and put a little yeah. post-it note there. Cause I'll Dude. maybe like down the road, I want to use that for a sermon. So you and I are, are similar in that. Oh, so that's you, so funny. If you want to yeah. buy it twice, buy it twice. That's what I'm you know saying. What I, mean? I, that's awesome. That makes me happy on, on the real though. If people are listening to this and they're going to buy this book, it is better to buy it before it before it comes out, right? Like it. Oh yeah. It, it's 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 good for you because it might get you like if there if there's people listening and they know they're gonna buy the book, they yeah. should buy it now because it actually like could potentially put you on some lists, right? If if yeah, they buy it it's, early, right? It's the whole algorithm thing of game. Amazon. It's such yeah. a game, but yeah, pre-orders all count for week one too. Yeah. So yeah. So like that's a big deal um, for getting like high levels in your categories or whatever. Like at the end of the day, I want this book to help people as many as possible. Of course, it's pretty cool when people buy it. I'm guessing, uh, I've never, I've never done that before. So we'll find out how cool it is, but, (laughs) but, uh, like, like at the end of the day, I hope, I hope it really does help people. But if you're like, dude, I want to check this book out. Yeah. Then the sooner you buy it, the better I'll appreciate it. If you got to wait a month, it's all good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, where can people follow you? You're on Twitter, you're on Instagram, right? Uh, what, yeah. what, what some ways people can connect with you on social platforms and I'll put them in the, I'll put the links in the description, sure. but what are the places you prefer people follow you? Oh man. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram and it's just slash 
Kurt Willems, K-U-R-T-W-I-L-L-E-M-S. Both of those get misspelled. Thank you to my parents. Um, then also, <laughs> um, my website is theologycurator.com. And you can actually go to theologycurator.com. And there's like a, a place you can sign up for my newsletter. And that's kind of my home base. So I send those out somewhat sporadically, but, you know, a couple times a month. And um, that'll get you connected to all the other things I'm doing, um, updates and mostly just fresh reflections and that kind of thing. So, yeah, a couple of spots. Awesome. Kurt, thank you so much for being on Beyond Boundaries and uh, really hoping that you have a lot of success with this book. Oh, bro. What a what a cool thing to be a part of this. I love your podcast and here I am. It's pretty rad. So thanks, dude. It was great to have you with me today on Beyond Boundaries. Huge thanks to Kurt for being on. All the links for Kurt's book and ways that you can connect with him are in the show notes and in the description. So make sure you check that out. Again, if you want to learn more about me, and find the show notes for this episode, you can go to pastorjustindouglas.com. You can interact there with feedback, comments, questions, or you can reach out via Instagram at pastorjustindouglas. Again, please consider subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing. It really does make a difference. And if you want to connect on Patreon to help cover the overhead costs, that would be awesome too. But more importantly, make sure you buy Kurt's book because this is a good book and I think it's going to be great for you. May you go and live a life that is beyond boundaries, giving others love, exploring new ideas, and championing belonging.